0: Turn their retirement goals into reality and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan.
1: Hi there. Are you a high income earner? Do you feel like you're paying more than your fair share? Do you feel like the tax man is taking too big a bite out of your check, out of your finances? Well, I'm here to help. I help high income people legally reduce their taxes, and I can help you. So if you feel like you're paying, too much in taxes and you're a high-income individual, schedule an introductory conversation with me and let's see what maybe we can do to help. Also, if you've had a large capital gain event, maybe it's a business, maybe it's a piece of real estate, maybe it's stocks or bonds, investments, we can help there too. So reach out, schedule a discovery call, and let's see if we can solve your problem. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Jonathan Miller. As you guys know, I interview a lot of people. I see people from all across the industry, and uh, this one I'm excited about. Jonathan and I have uh, talked extensively a handful of times, and I think we're going to run out of time before we finish our conversation. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Jonathan is with Fortune Management and specializes in providing full-service solutions for dentists from startup, remodel, relocation, and purchasing a dental practice. Jonathan works with both the first-time practice owner and established doctors. The Fortune Network has over 70 executive coaches with experience in a variety of specialties for dental practices. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Good to be on. All right, so a couple questions to get started. Yeah. Who is Fortune Management? Yeah, so
2: the company was created over 30 years ago, and it actually came out of a... um, a business mastery group through Tony Robbins. Dentists were there, business people were there. And these two collectives joined about five people in the beginning. One of them is the CEO today is still Bernie Stoltz. And so he's been there since the inception. And then a couple of the doctors that joined in have obviously kind of grown up and grown out, so to speak, they've retired. But they were all a part of the original process. And the original process or the original thought was, hey, we didn't go to business school, we went to dental school. And we were here you know, at this business mastery, like, let's get an education on this stuff. There were some business folks there, and there's just kind of a happy marriage that came out of that. And in the early days, uh, part of the initial affiliation with the program was Tony was instrumental in getting those two groups together. He was getting a lot of calls from dentists like, hey, can you help me out? And he was like, well, look, you know, this is kind of what I do, and I don't really know dentistry that well, but what if we found somebody that really knew small business and really took an interest in the actual business of dentistry? So these folks did. It was kind of an education on both fronts. And then through that now, it's been 32 years of processes and systems and strategy and structure on what needs to be done in a dental practice. And then I came in and created the program at which startups and first-time buyers go through. And that's kind of morphed into a little bit of like, you know, the established doctor that wants to go out into the world and do second or third office and or bring in associates and do all that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. So talk a little bit about your background and your Mm -hmm. transition to Fortune and really take in that regard.
2: Yeah. It's easy because it's very similar trajectory to maybe what a a dentist does coming out of the DSO space and saying, Hey, I'm going to go be my own owner. I'm going to call my own shots. I spent 10 years at one of the larger banks in the country doing nothing but dental lending. And I did the dental lending to startups or first-time buyers. And they, uh, you know, just through uh, promotions and different things, I moved from main headquarters out into the outside world of things. So now I was East coast for a little while, now I live on the West coast And so at about my 10-year anniversary, technically it was like 9.75 years, I had just really picked my head up and thought, gosh, this is a a pretty comfortable job. It's kind of a cushy gig, good benefits, all that stuff, but it really wasn't all that fulfilling or rewarding anymore. And so a couple of conversations with my wife, I found that you know, this is what I have the most fun doing is really guiding doctors and accelerating their learning curve. So they don't walk around with like, oh gosh, if I would have known this when I did a startup, or if I would have known that early in the days, I would have done it differently. I'm here to try and take that stuff out of the equation. And so I came over to Fortune uh, six and a half years ago now to say, hey, look, I think that you guys need something for first-time owners because in a conversation with them, they didn't have anything. They kind of did it ad hoc, but they didn't have a, a proven process or a program that they walk doctors through start to finish like we do today.
1: Well, it's interesting because I was just talking to a, a brand new uh, first-time owner just recently and mm-hmm. the challenges they have. It's, it's can be quite overwhelming. And as we talked about numerous times uh, on this podcast, dentists get a lot of clinical training and very little business training. So it's, you kind of learn from the school of hard knocks, and some people graduate and some yep. people don't. So talk a little bit about like, what is your startup program like? And then yep. talk about what well, some of the other things you do for dentists.
2: Yeah. So, there's a few things on the startup side of the house. So on the startup program, really it's, it's very much identifying because a lot of doctors call me and say, do I start a practice or do I buy a practice? It's identifying which route's best for you because through the startup world came a, a request and a need organically for buyer advocacy as well. And so really I get a call, I get calls for both. Like the same doctor will say, Hey, I'm interested in one or the other, which one's best for me. It's not exactly for me to say, Hey, you're destined for this, but I do walk them through a series of questions. In short, my role as a startup coach is to walk them through from start to finish, which start is like, hey, I think I want to do a startup, but I don't know where to open or what shopping center to be in, or do I need to own the building or what lender to talk to or all that, all the way to doors open. And there's all the steps in between there, right? Now, the, the joke I make a lot is, hey, if I, I chunk it down into a 10-step process, but if I told you there was really like 95 steps and I gave you the checklist, you'd be like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do a startup anymore. It's it's kind of like kids, right? You're like, oh, there's I got to do all that too. Eh, right. yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm okay on the kid part.
1: So it's overwhelming. There's no doubt about it. And, and, but if someone's already got their practice, mm-hmm. what do you do if they call you? Yeah. So the first thing I
2: want to find out is did they buy that practice to start from scratch? Right. And then I want to start to do an, a, an analysis just like anybody else in the business world would and say, okay, let's look at your, your KPIs or your key performance indicators. And if you started it, then I'm going to benchmark you differently than if you bought it. And if you bought a practice doing six, 700 K a year, and you're like, I'm doing 900 K, but I just can't seem to get over the million dollar hump. That's not really all that crazy, right? Meaning like you were six or 700 already, and now you're at 900, like you've done some stuff, right? But you know, you already had fuel in that tank. This thing is already a proven process. You should be able to get this thing up over a million here pretty quick. If you started from scratch from zero and said, hey, I'm at six, 700, and I just can't, there's something there. Sometimes it's about the decisions you made early on in the process. Maybe one of those decisions was, I went with three ops and that's it. That's all I got. Well, okay, well, you know, a million or pushing a million might be as good as we can do. Now, it also depends on your investments in technology and kind of what dentistry you do. Because I tell doctors when I get on the phone with them today, listen, if you get on the phone with me and say, hey, I'm really just going to do bread and butter dentistry, then I can cap your income right now and tell you that, look, you're never really going to get above this. Doing bread and butter crown and bridge dentistry just isn't going to cut it anymore if we're really talking about growth.
1: What is that What is that cap typically?
2: So different for different pockets of the country, but I would tell you that most bread and butter folks, it's going to be really, really hard to get up in over a million. And now, yeah, now where where are you? Million?
1: Are you saying? Top line revenue. Or top line. I'm, revenue. I'm saying
2: top line revenue. Yep. 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 So we'll call it collections because sometimes doctors yeah. understand that better. So we'll say never going to get over a million in collections. Now, uh, yes, I want to stay away from terms like always and never. And it does matter. You can push back on me all day if I'm fee for service or PPO. Totally fine with that. Right. I also obviously know it's
1: going to be easier to get a million dollars of collections in Southern California than it would exactly. be in the Midwest. It's going to be easier exactly. to do that in New York City than it would be, you know, maybe in the South. Um, obviously, a higher cost of living in both those places. But mm-hmm. as a general rule, a million dollars of collections if you're doing bread and butter dentistry. Yeah, that begs the next question. Well, let's suppose I am the bread and butter dentistry guy, but mm-hmm. I want to really grow my revenue. I want to make more money. I went to school. I incurred three, four dollars $400,000 in student loan debt to, mm-hmm. to do this. I want to make some serious dough. What do I have to do? I would tell you to develop your hygiene department. You've got
2: to develop a really good hygiene department. Now, conflicting ideas are I have a three-op facility and I want to develop a really good hygiene department. Really, really tough to do right? Because you don't have enough chairs to develop a really good hygiene department. So again, now I'm starting to dissect, well, wait a minute, your early decisions are going to impact some of these things you can do in your future. This may be as good as you can get. So if you are in this, let's go down the path, three chair facility, and and, and I want to do really well, maybe it's more just about driving money to the bottom line. You know, Maybe we can look to get more efficient with everything in between top line collection million dollars and bottom line profits. Because I, I definitely know some doctors that are doing a million bucks in the middle of Kansas that are making great money and don't have a care in the world three chair facility all good that's no problem i'm not here to say you have to do more than that but in california you know that's not going to cut it
1: so what i see i've mentioned this numerous times i see this continuum of on one side you have doctors who own a job it's a really Mm -hmm. good job but you own a job Mm -hmm. and this is not la or new york numbers but generally speaking they probably have an income of 250 to 350 maybe a little more maybe a little less but you own a job really good job but you're not getting rich. then you have the other end of the spectrum, which is business owners who happen to be dentists who are making two and three million dollars. I know dentists who work two days a week and make two million dollars a year and so that that's a and of course then there's all everyone in the middle. So could you speak to the business owner mentality versus the owning a job mentality?
2: Yeah, so if we break it down simply it's right now the job mentality is you're trading time for dollars. You want to get paid for what you know and not for what you do. And that's the difference in dentistry because so much of dentistry happens with our hands and so much happens when I actually produce dentistry. And so you want to shift that into, I get paid for what I know, not for what I do. And so what I know is, and then you're going to go down the path of bringing in associates, itinerant specialists, and like I said, building a really well thought out hygiene
1: department. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So what would you say is the biggest mistake dentists are making or when you talk to someone mm-hmm. if you want to talk to 10 people what is the biggest mistake that you see people making
2: so the first one would be that the understanding this concept that the first loan you get is the easiest loan you're ever going to get in dentistry so you better do you better set yourself up right so every lender is going to look at you as glass is half full and not half empty on your first loan okay so whether it's a startup or an acquisition you got to go swing for the fences. Um, So to try and go super bootstrappy or I'm going to go at it and approach it with, I want to borrow as little as possible is a big, big fat mistake because you only get one shot at that. And if you go borrow as little as possible, let's say you did it for 200 grand and you get the doors open and okay, great. But then all of a sudden, you're three years in and you're doing half a million dollars and you want to now do something. The bank doesn't look at you as a startup anymore. They look at you as an established doctor, established practice. And I'm here to tell you that most banks project a first-time doctor starting from scratch to do more than $450,000 in their first year. Okay. So if you're telling me that I've been in it now a couple of years and I'm doing 500K, but you're going to claim that, well, it's only because I borrowed so little, et cetera, the bank doesn't care. They're going to benchmark you against everyone else. So if you're an established doctor who's not doing more than that number, more than what they project their startup doctor to do, you can imagine the hurdle's pretty tough to get over. So I think that one of the biggest mistakes is not understanding that that first loan you get is the easiest loan you're ever going to get. I think if I had to add more to that, it is don't undercapitalize your project, right? You make sure you have enough money to invest in marketing and invest in technology. Those are the things that are going to set you apart from everyone else. It's not so much buying the best dental chairs. It's of course, not so much buying marble countertops. It's understanding your marketing strategy and and then the technology you can bring to the practice because it's the technology that bridges the gap in which you can work smarter, not harder.
1: How much is it systems that takes you from here to the next level, from from you know point A to point B without, how much of it is systems that helps grow a practice when someone wants to grow a practice?
2: Well, this, I'm so glad you asked that because I do think that, that I get that a lot. and if we're talking I don't care if we're talking startup or acquisition or guy who's been in business 15, 20 years, the step before systems is people and the culture. If you don't have that buttoned up, the systems won't matter. And I think that is what a lot of other, the reason why we say coaching and not consulting is because that's what consultants do is they come in and wow you with numbers and stats and structure and strategy. But if nobody cares, they're not going to do. So if your people don't care, they don't see the world how you see it. They don't want to follow your vision. They think that, oh, if I grow this practice 20 or 30%, what's in it for me, you're going to get a new car or a a better vacation, then they're not going to follow the structure or the strategy that we lay out systems matters. And I would tell you, you know, to pinpoint systems between 800 and a million, that's probably how much it's worth, okay? But you're not gonna get there to the million dollars if you don't have the team. You're just not, you're never gonna get there, okay? So I think that the systems part matters quite a bit. I, I can't give you an exact percentage on it because I think that I've been in offices where we put in great systems or they say they have great systems, but they just can't get there. And I've been like, yeah, you do have good systems. I, the challenge isn't the systems, the challenge is the people doing the system. They don't really want to do it, or they're not working it to the degree that the doctor thinks the system is really being worked. And then the second piece of that is in monitoring those systems, me- monitoring and measuring those systems. So really understanding your KPIs. If you're if you're an established practice today and you don't have a KPI monitor, that that to me means you're you're driving a car with no instrument gauge. Your pilots flying the plane, they have no idea how fast, what altitude, how far are they to the destination. That's you in your practice today with no KPIs of any kind.
1: Well, that just talks about being a student of the business. And unfortunately, you have to learn that the hard way because you you typically you aren't taught that in in dental school. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about you mentioned coach versus consultant. You're you're Mm -hmm. a coach, but the consulting world in the dental in the dental industry is quite big. Yep. Um, There's a lot of good consultants out there, as I know you can attest to. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of not so good consultants out there. So talk a little bit about what the consulting industry is like.
2: Yeah, I would tell you that the unfortunate part about the consulting industry, and, and this is where it's weird for dentists, right? To be a dentist, you have to go through so much education. You have to have degrees. You have to have CEs. You have to have all these other certificates and essentially credentials, licenses, et cetera. And in the consulting world, you don't have to have any of them. And so, you know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, before, if I had my way, I wish there was like a certification or, or like a, you know, in, in financial advising, you have to have licenses to do it. I wish there was that component of it because I think that would help separate some of the good ones from the not so good ones. The ones that actually take the time, perfect their craft, go through the process and have seen a lot of different experience is usually going to be the best person, coach, consultant, whatever term you'd like to use for the doctor. The person that says, Hey, well, I was, a." uh, X in the dental world, office manager, biller, insurance coordinator, whatever, for 15 years. And now I'm going to come coach your practice. Probably doesn't have a lot of context for how to do it the right way in your office. So if I break it down more simply, you know, the difference between a coach and consultant and the good ones and the bad ones is kind of like parent versus babysitter, right? Anybody can be a babysitter for a few hours. They got to give those kids back and they'll take, they're cool. They're a good babysitter, but you know, some good babysitters that probably aren't ready to be parents. You know, and you also as a as a as a father, uh, I only have the two, so you know more about this than I do. But I'm here to tell you that, like, the parent life is a lot different than the cool uncle or the cool aunt or the you know niece nephew. You, you know, you're the cousin uh, to to uh, nieces and nephews, that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, that's really good. So, would you say that, or would you be so bold to say that every dentist should hire a consultant? Ooh. Would I be so bold to say that
2: every dentist is I'm going to say no, and here's why. Think of uh, you heard me talk to you about. I hired this personal trainer and this this uh, this fitness coach, and I would lay, tell you lay that,
1: that lay, lay that whole example out.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I, I I hired a fitness coach and I brought them in, and they had a package. Their package is monthly or three months, but based on your goals. So my goals were to put on muscle mass. I'm technically known as like a tall, lanky guy, and so I said, all right, I want to put on 15 pounds of muscle. Uh, He said, great, we could do that in three months based on your type, what you eat, blah, 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 follow my diet plan, follow my exercise plan, etc. And he sent me the details, and I I had to check in with him in the app and all that stuff. And so, okay, great. I did it. End of three months, I put on 15 pounds to the T, man. I mean, it was like boom, boom, okay? And so that was cool. That was great. And I was obviously disciplined to do that. And the point I'm making is that not every doctor should bring in a coach or consultant because they're not ready to do the work. They think that a coach or consultant is going to go tell their team what to do or go do the system for them or basically, basically be their glorified front office manager or regional manager or, or business manager or whatever. The doctors have to do the work. They're the CEO. They're the leader of the ship. Okay. And so if you're
1: not – Sometimes they want to pay money. Say, that sounds good. Okay, uh, front office person. Go do it.
2: Right. And right. Then they, well, they, right. they want me to go whip that front office person into shape. And I hear that a lot. And that's, the, those are the doctors that I typically don't work with because if I can't get them to understand the difference, the difference, if I go to the physical uh, or the, the trainer route, or that was to say the physical fitness route is, Hey, you said you wanted six pack abs. And so you have to give up ice cream and pizza. And if you go, well, I don't really want to do that. Well, then you're not going to get six pack abs. So as simple as that. And if you don't want to hear that, and then you don't want to put in the work then please don't hire me. Because they're not going to get there. And then you're going to blame me at the end of this. But you didn't put down the pizza and put down the ice cream. That's
1: really, really good. That's the
2: rub. That's the rub.
1: So so you see a lot of guys or, g- or gals, den- dentists, mm-hmm. they're willing to spend the money, but they're really not willing to put the work in. That's right. So they would like to throw money in a problem. And so I guess what's the biggest differentiator from your perspective in the business owner who's making mm-hmm. well over seven figures personally? Mm-hmm. And you might only be working two or three days a week. Yeah.
2: So the differentiator. So I will tell you, there's a few things. One thing I will say is that because you, you had said guys or girls, female dentists typically outperform. If I had to take, if I took two clients, they both worked with me. I would tell you that female doctor typically outperforms that male doctor. Because, because they women, are, more,
1: women are more coachable than men. They're not egomaniacs. There you go spoken
2: as somebody who's who's met the the guy and the girl that does before and so the point is is that and because i'm a male <laughs> exactly i, I don't think i can come in and coach you i don't think i can come in and coach you so but yeah to that degree you know there's a lot of guys that think well i already know business and so then when i say something that challenges what they thought they knew about business they don't want to do it because they don't want to see if that works they want to go no no i was right and so ego does set themselves up for failure. And so I find that female dentists are a, a fantastic coaching clients uh, nine times out of 10, right? It's the male doctor that's, I would say, six, seven times out of 10 going to work out well, but there's that 30 to 40% of the time they want to challenge or they want to say, well, I'm right and it's my way and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And so the difference into your question about the doctor who's trading time for dollars or the doctor working two days a week, making six, seven figures is that those doctors that are that are uh, making the six, seven figures actually put in the work and know how to lead. And that's the difference in doctors. They change their focus from being clinician to leader.
1: Well, it's funny because I I can't tell you how many people I've heard who hate dentistry because they hate managing people. I've actually met dentists who are trying to sell because they Mm -hmm. hate managing Mm -hmm. people. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, because I guess they were just naive realizing that because you own a practice, you're a small business owner and Mm -hmm. you're a business owner. And you wouldn't put up with that crap if it wasn't the way to create more wealth for you, but you're managing people. And and a lot of people just hate that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally agree with that statement. I find that that is where, you know, for me, and, and, and I would tell you fortunes fortunes, motto mission statement today is we're here for the preservation of the private practice. And I've really taken that on because that's why I want to help doctors get into private practice. I want to help them start or buy. That, that's a
1: very anti-DSO uh, mission statement.
2: And it might be, but here's the deal. I'm not anti-DSOs because I think they're a fit for some folks. I've talked to some doctors that say, hey, I'm thinking about doing a startup or an acquisition, and I'll talk to them about what their future really looks like when they are in that role. And then they'll go, yeah, maybe I'm not cut out for it. And I'll say, yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think you're maybe not cut out for it. You should probably stay in the DSO space. And that's okay. DSOs aren't going away. And I'm not here to say oh, pitchforks and, and torches down with DSOs. What I am here to say, though, is that the challenge today is the doctors, the established doctors that you referenced before, the ones that are trading time for dollars, not the ones making seven figures of the two days a week gig. They're the ones handing the keys to the castle over because they're being promised that, hey, you don't have to manage people anymore. We're going to take that off your plate. You get to sit back and do what you love best. And isn't that great news, Doc? You get to be a dentist again, and you get to get paid for it. But you're now even more in a position of trading time for dollars. There's no freedom. There's no flexibility. You have no legacy.
1: Many of them don't realize you're going back to – you're becoming a W-2 employee, and you can't take Friday off and go to the beach early for the weekend. Yes. And, uh, and your tax situation just got worse because yes. you're now a W-2 yes. employee. And yeah. you know, it's funny. I had one guy I was talking to. He, he sold his practice for a nice chunk of money. Mm-hmm. And he, but he was like in his l- mid to late 40s kind of like mm. so yeah still and, got time left well yep. and he, i said what are you gonna do He is like, i'm gonna manage my investments i was like brother you ain't that rich <laughs> 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 unless you're day trading stocks every day yeah yeah uh, yeah which you probably um, wouldn't
2: recommend you do either yeah right yeah, so
1: yeah. so it really is interesting so so, a couple more questions for you as we wind down here. So, you yeah. you have a new book. So, talk about that.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, don't sweat the startup. It focuses on the startup doctor and walks them through the same process that that I that I helped create when I first came on. And that is just I want to put something out there that focuses on information, not affirmation. And I'll be honest with you. Right now, the book is a, is is. The landscape's changing so much that I can go back and write revision two of the book. I could probably write revision three of the book because it's, there's so much that's moving in the landscape. But I tried to write the book under the guidance that there's some core foundational principles that are going to be true no matter what you do. The minute you say you want to do a startup, then these are the things that you need to make sure you've gotten accomplished on some level. You don't have to do it exactly my way. I don't believe that there is only one way to do it. That's one of my differentiators in the world of like competition. I think that you know some folks say, well, yeah, here's how we do startups. And they do it the same way every single time. There's, there's clear proof that that doesn't work, right? There's clear proof that what we for one doctor in one market won't for another doctor in another market. So I try and say, hey, doc, what do you really want the future to look like? And then, okay, based on what you just said you wanted, here's the stuff we have to make sure happen. And then we can maneuver within that realm of like, hey, we can ebb and flow, especially if you're a specialist or you're a father of four or five kids at home, you, you, know, you might not be able to work seven days a week, right? So there's all those things that come up with through the process. So the book is there to be really an advocate for information, not affirmation. It's not going to be a place you go where you want confirmation bias, or uh, let me see if, if my method of, of marketing is right or whatever you think.
1: So who's the type of dentist that would do, would work well with you? Like who's the type of guy or, or girl that mm-hmm. you would get the best results with? They would respond to your coaching the best. Who is the ideal Client, if you will.
2: Yeah. So if, if I if I go big picture, it's the folks that are focused on being resourceful and not on resources because it's going to happen, and it is 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 a, is an abbreviation with SH in front of it. Okay. And yeah. so when that happens, we have to be committed to being resourceful. I can walk you through just about every single scenario, but I can't do every single scenario for you. So you have to be committed to like, hey, there we are on a path, and we're going to go down that path. But if there need to be slightations or course corrections then you got to be prepared to do that. You can't just kick and scream and stomp your feet and kind of, you know, my four-year-old have a temper tantrum about, well, this isn't supposed to, this isn't part of my path or this isn't part of my plan. You know, I mean, I think the businesses that get it right aren't focused on perfection and that those are the doctors that I struggle with are the ones that think it's going to go perfect. Right. And the ones that want to kind of sit back and incubate and really say, you know, uh, I want to focus on all my marketing now before I pick a space. And you're like, wait a minute, you can can put together a really good marketing plan before you pick a space. But what if you implement that marketing plan in the market that your space is in and it doesn't work? It falls flat. You just wasted a lot of time then. And time is something that we all know we can't get back and you don't even have a space yet. So we need to go look for space, understand the market, dissect your target audience, and then put our marketing together. You may think you know your target audience right now. Then you get out there. And like I said, you put that plan into action. It falls flat. Now, what do you do? You know, you've got to be able to make course corrections and, and deviations. So as long as we're going towards the same, you know, eyes on the prize, same outcome in the end, that's what's most important.
1: That, that's great right there. So how can people get in touch with you? Uh,
2: social media. Social media. My contact information is in the book. You can request a copy of the book at, at well, FortuneMGMT.com. Let's, well,
1: let's give them your contact information right now. Like, I mean, however they, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: I, know. I, I, yep, I've had, all right. So I've had the same cell phone number since I've been in dentistry. So uh, that cell phone number is very easy. It's, it's a, it's a 614 number to so Ohio where I'm from. So anytime you, if I'm calling you from 614, that's probably me, but 614-406-4859. A text message to that goes a really, really long way. Read it one uh, more time. One more time. It's 614-406-4859. So a text message to that goes a really, really long way. On Instagram, I'm at start your underscore, practice. Start your underscore practice. You can just type in startyourpractice. I got my name, Jonathan Miller, all over everything. So you should be able to find me on Instagram or Facebook at both of those startyourpractice handles. Phone number, email address is a little too long. So text me and I'll shoot you my email. Perfect. and fortune mgmt.com and you can find the book there you can request a copy of the book through that
1: that's awesome jonathan this has been a fantastic uh discussion i really appreciate your time today
2: yeah hey thanks we could do it more often this is short and sweet and to the point so all good man i, I appreciate it Rob.
1: sure thing well you've been listening to the financial flossing podcast with ross Brannon.
0: this has been another episode of financial flossing with ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com. Ross Brannan is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc. and Investment Advisory Representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment Advisory Services are offered through
2: Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. and Securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC,
0: 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.